Welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. Cyclical Inc. is a community of church starters, discerners, coaches, and leaders who believe in God's love inspiring faithful innovation through the church. On this podcast, we'll have dialogues with practitioners to gain insight, inspiration, and best practices for starting and leading churches in a post-industrial context. Welcome to the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. I am Brianna Kinsman. I'm one of the producers for the show, and I'm here with my co-producer, Brendan McLenahan. Hey, Brendan. So tell us, what is new at Cyclical? Hey, Brianna. Yes, the number one thing that we are thinking about is this conference coming up in August 12th. It's a Wednesday, and we're going to be rounding up a bunch of people. There are, I think, about 50 people registered right now. And I'm super excited because what we're going to be talking about is how to kind of reform and rehash our theology, our ecclesiology uh, for COVID-19, basically asking, what is God doing and how do we respond to that together as church leaders? So we're going to be having three presenters in between each presentation. There's going to be lots of time to break out into smaller groups for discussion We're going to be having interactive activities such as yoga and other things that help us just unpack and just um, kind of let this material breathe. So I'm really excited about it. Also, everyone who is registered right now is getting a free copy of our upcoming book of the same title. It's called Faithful Innovation, Beginning a Conversation for a Post-COVID Church. And we are just putting the final touches on that right now and sending out the first copies to the registrants. So I am so excited about all this coming together. So if you are not signed up for that yet, you should be. And you can go to cyclicalchurches.com slash events where you'll find the registration page for that. Uh, registration is 20 bucks, and um, it's going to be well worth uh, the time and the energy that we all put into it. So I'm really looking forward to it, Brianna. So tell us about today's interview. Yes, so I am very excited to share our guest today. This interview is with Reverend Jaya So. Jaya is one of the founding co-pastors of a third culture community called Anchor City Church, and it's in San Diego, California. Jaya is also a coach and a cohort leader of new church planters for the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Project, and she's an online cohort director for Cyclical PCC. As you guys listen to her today, you will hear Jaya's heart for being around dreamers and innovators and people who are really seeking to find new ways to form church in current contexts today. Yeah, I love that about the interview, Brianna. And something that I was noticing about Jaya is she is very perceptive about the pressures and the um, the slight little changes that you make along the way that eventually lead to almost kind of outsourcing the ministry work from the church. So, for example, she tells this great story about children's ministry and how they had a lot of pressure to hire a children's ministries director. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they realized that that's not really what they wanted to do, and they had to be careful about what things they said yes to and what things they said no to, regardless of the pressure they were experiencing. So I really admire Jaya's discernment in that regard. And that really comes through, not just in children's ministry, um, 
that's just one of the examples that she gives. Um, she's just extremely discerning, extremely wise, has a lot of wisdom to share with us. So I'm really excited for us to get to this interview. Yes, I 100% agree, Brendan. I'm excited too. Well, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in today and listening. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Nick and Jaya. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to our very special guest today, JSO. We're so glad you're with us. Good to be here. Question number one in our pre-production meeting, we were just talking about Frozen 1 or Frozen 2. Can you please share your preference, Frozen 1 or Frozen 2? I would have to say Frozen 1. I did, I did fall asleep, according to my daughter, during Frozen 2 and uh, did not understand what was going on. But I, I thought it was because of poor storytelling, really. Sorry to all the Frozen 2 fans out there. <laughs> so uh, did you see the documentary on the making of Frozen 2? I did it, and it sounds like I'm going to have to catch that. because. Yes. Church, I mean, it's church starting gold. Yeah. So for sure, anyone out there who's church starting, if you've not seen the documentary yet on how Frozen 2 was made, please um, jump in with that. And JF, for your poor perspective on Frozen 1 versus Frozen 2, <laughs> please see that as well. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jay, uh, we hear some piano behind you. And in my house right now, there's some harmonica happening. What's going on with that? <laughs> Uh, yes, so my daughter's having her piano lesson in the next room, and um, so we'll just be hearing some um, some missed keys here and there, and um, it'll just be going on in the background. That's life right now in quarantine, I think. So quarantine living. Hopefully, she plays into the unknown while we're doing <laughs> this interview. That would be a wonderful gift. And that is um, that is my son. Quarantine life, day number six thousand eight hundred forty-two. He's playing the harmonica right now. So. For our listeners, enjoy the smooth piano behind Jaya and the chaotic harmonica. Yes. And we might break out into song. We should. <laughs> uh, great. Well, Jaya, seriously, thank you for joining us. Um, for our listeners, we have been working through the first four seasons of, of New Churches over the course of this season. And uh, Jaya uh, was one of the starters of Anchor City Church in uh, North San Diego County. Yes. Um, Jaya, like... Why in the world, first of all, would you start a church? What a weird and crazy idea that is. Why would you put yourself through that? Yeah, um, this is kind of a long story, um, I, and so I'll try to keep it brief. But um, it goes all the way back to when I entered seminary and I met my uh, husband, at, uh, who was not my husband at the time. And uh, um, we both were like, two people who are like, we'll never be congregational pastors and, we'll, and we probably won't work in the church setting and then spent the next 20 years of our life in congregational pastoral settings. Yeah. Foot in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. Classic. Right. Well, and the second thing is probably at some point when a lot of our friends were starting churches or starting new worshiping communities, we were like, wow, that's really great. They're so amazing and they're so awesome, but we could never see ourselves doing that. Um, and then here we are you know, six years later, having started this community. But really what happened was we were working and um, it starts off negatively and hopefully it ends up kind of positively, but it really starts off with um, us feeling really dissatisfied with the church context that we were working in. Um, coming home every Sunday on the drive and me just complaining bitterly about how much I hated everything about what we were doing. Yeah. And then um, at a certain point, Driving home, I was, I just said, let's, I cannot talk about the things that I hate anymore. And I would really like to talk about things that I love or dream about. 
And it was through those conversations that we really realized that something that maybe we were being called to this. Um, and then uh, um, it was, and then we had like this initial assessment that was kind of being done. And, um, and it wasn't like anything formal, but people were basically like, you guys don't fit the profile, which actually was like a huge sigh of relief for us. Cause we thought, well, we don't fit the profile. So we'll just figure out how we can be a part of something that what does was this. Was this like a stadia assessment? No, it like wasn't. A- it was like a gathering of like potential church planters. I don't even remember what group it was with. And they were talking about like, you know, you need to be this like go-getter and entrepreneurial and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? ENF. P, Enneagram 7, all the classes. Yes, yeah, and we're like none of those, neither of us are. And so, um, you know, we just felt this like really like, we had this huge sigh of relief and like, whew, we don't fit the profile, great. But we felt this continual like gnawing at us to start something. And so then the next question really had to be, does San Diego need another church? Um, There's so many churches here. um, But as we took a look and saw what was kind of the cultural landscape and the church landscape, and also um, what kind of churches were out there specifically for Asian Americans, we felt like there was room for another church and that's how we got started. So this, I mean, really kind of at least is the beginning points of this first season, the season of discernment. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, a couple things on your season of discernment. Uh, one, I'd love to hear you reflect a little more on how you got over like the typical preconceived notions of uh, a human that starts a church, like who they are, how they function. We just have so many people a part of cyclical networks that don't fit that prototypical, you know, industrial kind of model of who's the point leader of a church. So how did you uh, move through those hurdles as you did it, get that initial no from that initial assessment? Yeah. Um, I think part of it really was, like I said, that growing sense of um, like, that call to to do something new, to start something new. And we weren't exactly sure what that would look like. Um, and then I think part of it also was, uh, there was some excitement that was being built around our leadership, um, despite us not fitting the profile from different people um, who were kind enough to say that they would come alongside us to help us plant. Um, one of my favorite stories to tell actually about this is uh, we approached six couples it, that we knew and we said, hey, we're kind of thinking about doing this, you know, what do you think? Um, were you kind of whispering it when you asked them? Because it feels like you were in a setting where you're kind of like whispering. like, oh, Yeah, yeah, because it, <laughs> it definitely was. And I think we were really hopeful too that they would say no. So we gave them the super long on-ramp and we we're like, okay, so it's, you know, it, it was like November or September. Or I, f- I forget exactly when at the time. And I said, we'll give you guys until Easter to like decide if you want to do this. And we asked them to pray about it to see if they would like be willing to invest in it even financially. And so we said, okay, we'll see, you You know, we'll talk to you guys again at Easter about this. And most of them came back with us within a month and said, yeah, let's do this. And I think that was, yeah, that was the other thing that was just kind of like, okay, it feels like maybe this is something that we should be doing. Um, And then I think too, really was this sense of, um, here in San Diego, there wasn't a church that was going to look like ours. And so whether it grew like numerically big or whether, you know, no matter what happened, we thought that there would be a space for us. 
So, and it, why it is that? Why, why, what was your kind of your vision as you, so you're, I mean, you're, you're filling out the, this first season of discernment, right? So there's certainly yeah. discernment of the point leaders, but you're doing yeah. it in community and you're inviting people in to their yeah. own discernment process to join you in this all at once. So right. what is it as you all are discerning this, even before season two, which is the season of the initial organized gathering, yeah. what are you thinking is going to make your church so different in the midst of the milieu of churches in San Diego? Yeah, uh, we, so we're a third culture community, um, but I think <laughs> this is the one thing, this, oh man, this really goes, like I have a hard time saying this, but one of the things that would really be different was that one of the co-lead pastors would be a woman. Please, yeah, um, expand more. Yeah, um, you know, we're a largely Asian American church, um, and in the context in which both Daniel, my husband, and I grew up, um, we didn't have women pastors. Um, and so just, and the, I, I think, at, and at the time, most of the Asian American churches didn't have, they would have women on their staff, but not as pastors, um, not as ordained ministers. Um, and so even just starting with that made us a little bit more progressive, I guess, for you know, lack of a better term, right. um, in terms of our theology and our ecclesiology. Um, and I think part of it was wanting to be a good role model um, for maybe some young women out there who thought that they would need some, or not that they that they were looking for some leadership um, in that kind of way. And so, um, I mean, so for you here, you, you didn't grow up then seeing women at the center of leadership and doing sermons, whatever, leading staff meetings. Was that like a hard chasm to get through that you'd be the head of staff? So just for clarity too, I mean, I know, I know, I know some of y'all's story. Um, you're, you're like the head of staff. You're that at this point, you have co your co-pastors with your yeah. husband, who's a lovely human and we all love very much, but you're, you're, you're the center of leadership of this. So was that yeah. hard for you um, as you didn't see that modeled growing up? Yeah. I mean, I, I did see it modeled. It was just never titled, right? Like um, you could, especially within the education, like the education departments, right? So my um, high school youth pastor was a woman, you know, they were, and that was unusual too. Um, I had um, like in el the elementary pastors were allowed to be allowed to be women. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even the verbiage <laughs> is, is interesting. Yeah. Um, but they were never, allowed to like they were never ordained and then even like when I was um, in seminary and I was interning at a church and I asked the pastor who's a PCUSA pastor what do you think about me pursuing ordination he said you know my my honest opinion is if you don't think that it's necessary to get you further along in your career I wouldn't do it because there's just so much opposition to it and again I was really what? Happy Are you that. because yeah. because you identify as female really yeah yeah oh yeah. my gosh yeah especially in the context that I was in I mean it's Korean church and it's changing it's definitely changing sure. um, but uh, at the time which feels like ancient history like it just wasn't a thing um, yeah. and it wasn't necessary and there was actually a lot more opposition to it and in fact you know when I was a youth pastor I um, working full-time at the church that I had interned at we had an intern come in and people automatically went to the intern because you know the intern was male um, and you know would say all these things like I feel so much better now that there's this male <laughs> youth pastor to do things and I was like you know actually um, yeah so it was it was something that I had to I had to actually really um, I had to come to terms with it in in myself uh -huh. you know more than anything yeah. else yeah. Um, and then and even now like um, there are times where I just think 
uh, maybe, let me, let me put this the right way. I, I think there are times where my life would be easier if I weren't a pastor, right? But that's for a lot of reasons, right? So yeah, but that's definitely in there. Well, kind of representing our our staff and our listeners, thank you for um, taking that leap and making that step in the midst of, uh, you know, just increased hurdles that you had in front of you. And as we'll see here in this conversation, the fruit is uh, is amazing as as you all moved along. Uh, So you you did discern to start a church, thanks be to God. And um, the, the next season that we talk about is the season of the initial organized gathering. So you've invited, you've invited people distinctly into discernment process and a long on-ramp, which they chose not to take, which I love. I think that's just, that's, that's brilliant. Um, so how did you start to gather these people and what did you all do as you began to gather? Yeah, um, well, we took a good look at the book of Acts um, and we studied that together. And, um, you know, in the book of Acts, uh, the first thing they do is they gather to pray. And so that's what we invited people to do is uh, to sit together with us and pray together with us and then to dream together. So those those uh, six households that we invited along, we just said, can you tell us what you love and dream about for church? Um, and all of them, like the thing that they were, they felt this dissatisfaction with or this longing for was more, um, more inroads into community. Sure. Um, and I think part of that is that, you know, most of us were in an immigrant church at the time. And, and I, I love the immigrant church, um, but they don't always have the resources to reach into communities outside of themselves. Right. You know, it's, it's really about survival. And I totally get that. But as most of us were second generation Asian Americans, I think we felt that there now we could use our resources and our upbringing to be able to reach out into the community a bit more. And so we um, gathered together to dream and pray um, probably for, so although they told us within a month that they were willing to do this, we really didn't do anything about it until that Easter, the following Easter. Okay. So you had a team ready to go, but you didn't start meeting until whatever, six, eight, eight months later. Right. And, and also you made a dangerous move here, um, which I think listeners should know the danger. I mean, prayer is always dangerous, prophetically dangerous, uh, but also I'm glad you were praying. That's probably important for a church. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but then to open up the microphone for dreams, um, when you pull people together, you're going to have different preconceived notions of what church is. Yeah. You're going to have different dissatisfactions and yeah. different like existential experiences that people have had. Yeah. And what a gift uh, that you did that and that you could find kind of the string that connected all of them, which I'm sure was in the midst of very different perspectives from different people. Um, What a good launching off point that must've been. Yeah. But you know, and I also have to say this though, in a lot of ways, I think for Asian Americans, like we're not taught to dream, you know, Um, we're taught to succeed and to do well. I I hesitate because I really don't want to speak for everyone's experiences, but by and large, at least the people who are coming to us, part of it was like realizing and, and, um, telling people or teaching people that God has placed these dreams in their lives for their personal lives, for their, you know, for the corporate life of the church and saying like, God is really wanting to do something in you and through you and loves you and wants more for you than just the typical dreams of success. And I think um, that was actually the most exciting part of it was like saying you get to have a voice in what happens more so than just 
you know, being part of the welcoming committee or doing finances, but really like you get to determine what the culture of the church is going to be. Um, and so that was actually the fun part of it. Um, yeah. yeah. Sounds like freedom time. Sounds like you open. So for all of us to reflect on, like how do you open doors uh, where uh, a lack of freedom, whatever you want to call that using whatever word uh, you open doors to for freedom time to actually express their own convictions and what God has done in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and um, I think that's just a lot of listening. And um, again, I think a lot of the folks have found our way. The reinforcement was never like positive reinforcement. I find that I still do this to my daughter sometimes, right? Where I'm like, good job. Now, what can you do better? Rather than just like concentrating on like, hey, great job. What did you do well? And so um, I find that that was part of it was just really it was so strange, especially at the beginning, even now, but at the beginning, I felt like um, my role as a pastor, you know, if my understanding of it going into pastoral ministry was like preaching and administrating and teaching and, and, and loving, right? Like that was kind of like, of course, that was supposed to be there. Like a lot of it turned out, like I, I remember coming home one day and being like, I feel like a mom, like a mother to like these adults, which was um, a strange feeling, but that's really what I felt like. And I really felt this desire just for people to feel that freedom to dream and to be, yeah. What a lovely image and so helpful. Um, We've often talked with um, Bethany McKinney Fox, for Mm -hmm. those of you that don't know her work, her favorite image um, for the Holy Spirit is that of a mother. Uh, When it comes to starting anything new, it's it's a mother giving birth. Yeah. Um, So those those images are are really powerful. Yes, yeah, actually that's, um, that is so true, right? Like it really did feel like, so I only have one child that, that I birthed and and she's our only child, but I really did feel like there was something that was being formed and created and like that, the midwifery process that uh, Christiana Rice, author Christiana Rice talks about, like when she, I remember she mentioned, I just felt like that was so in line with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a great image. Yeah. Okay, so you're praying, you're opening doors for freedom through dreaming as you're moving toward um, birthing this new yeah. church. Uh, anything else that listeners should note that you're doing in that initial organized gathering prior to the actual public witnessing ministry of what you all created? Yeah, the one thing that we did that was kind of like practical was we started asking people to give to the ministry ahead of time. Um, so even before there was... Um, any kind of like actual gathering, we said, would you consider setting aside some of your finances, financial resources for um, set, getting this ministry started? And so- Was that like awkward? Was that hard? Was that easy? How'd that go for you all? Actually for us, it was kind of like, it was fine. Um, yeah, I, I know that it can be hard, but we just, I think part of it was like we said, if you really believe in this, then you know it's going to take some funding to start it. And we didn't, at that point, we weren't part of the denominational affiliations of like 1001 for the PCUSA. And um, we didn't know about grants or anything. So we really felt like we had to do this on our own. So we had to ask everyone to invest right away. So, Reverend Dr. Najima Smith Pollard, uh, who we've done a lot of work with from from USC, who started a church, she's like, we'll start gathering. And you all say you want to be a church and we're literally not becoming a church until we all show that we're going to be financially participating in this together. It was like one of the key markers for her, which when you're working outside of the privileges of a denominational structure that will fund, you need, you need that. So it sounds like you were beginning there prior to, you know, some of the 
uh, I'm, privileges is probably a fine word of being a part of a denomination like the Peace USA that has 1,001 that can support with grants. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, there was a recognition that we are starting with folks who are already like, you know, who self-identified as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ. And um, we knew that for those that we'd be reaching that weren't, um, you know, we would have to, there'd have to be some teaching there in terms of like investing in stewardship. And so, um, you know, we really wanted to model that as like the people who started the church. So yeah, it was not a hard conversation because they were already doing it. So it's just like funneling the funds into a different account. Yeah, I feel, I mean, I can feel the ease about what you talk about this, um, yeah. which is, is refreshing. Uh, working with a lot of church starters that kind of stumble and awkwardly fall their way into a conversation on stewardship and to build it in right away in the DNA yeah. uh, is, a, is, a, is a great gift, I think, for our, our listeners to make sure they pay attention to. Um. Okay, so first of all, your daughter is a baller at the piano. Dylan sounds <laughs> awesome right now. And See, I'm um, level I 12. You. I just, you know, want to put that out there. You're <laughs> getting married. <laughs> um, so as you move to um, the, the public launch of what you all are doing, what did that look like as you let the neighborhood know, okay, here we are, um, and introduce yourselves, make sure you don't kind of mess up first impressions with the neighborhood and make sure you tend to those spaces as well. Um, and as you start to engage with ministry with your neighbors, what that look like? Yeah, that's great. Um, because we actually didn't do that like with the literal neighbors, because we started as a house church for the first four months. And okay. um, we started with um, we started with six households and then initially, um, I think our first Sunday gathering, there was probably about 15 adults and 10 kids. Um, and is this, wanted, in, is this in the house church situation? Or is it's this in the house church situation. Yeah. And, it, and I have to say this, um, it was a townhouse with a shared wall. Yeah. People next door are going to be here in your ministry, regardless if they wanted to or not. (laughs) Exactly. And um, there was this feeling like we really just wanted it to feel like, like church. I don't know. And for some reason that, (laughs) that included a cajon. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're getting there. I know. And so like, we were like, okay, we'll just play it like super quietly. Right. And so like, and it was not next to the shared wall at all. And the neighbors were super gracious until like maybe the third or fourth Sunday, they just came knocking on the door and they were like really angry, like super angry. Um, and did you invite them to be part of your community at that moment? Then? <laughs> we had a deal. <laughs> Oh gosh, I wish, I wish we should, we should have, I wish you have said like, Hey, you're not feeling well. You know, we could do a healing service right now. We lay Perfect. some hands on, I love it. <laughs> but, um, no, we didn't. We just apologized. And then, and then we just kept going. Like I felt so like in, in retrospect, it's just so like dumb, but, um, we kept going and we didn't actually hear from them for a little while longer until just as we were looking to move into a, another space. Um, it must've been just the last straw for them. And so they were like, you cannot do this anymore. You take up all the parking on Sundays and you're so loud. And, um, and so the people whose house we were meeting at, they were just like, we don't know what to do. And so we just bought like a really fat gift certificate to a nice restaurant. As a nice. Well played. <laughs> and we were just apologizing that that had to be the end of it. And thankfully we were out by the next week, but that's um, yeah. So that, in terms of like literal neighbor, that's how we handled it. it. Was not not the greatest move, probably not the greatest witness. They probably just hated us and thought maybe they thought we were some kind of cult. Who knows? Right, um, totally. 
kind of juice they drinking. Exactly. So, but are you like public in these moments? Are you like actively inviting people to participate in your Sunday stuff and that what you are doing besides Sunday stuff as you're in the house church with this lovely neighbor? Yes. Yeah, we were. And um, we were at that point outgrowing the space really quickly. Yeah. Um, we went from about 15 and 10 kids to probably about 20, 25. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just packed in. And so, yes. yeah. And so where, where did you go from there uh, with regard to your Sunday stuff? And also interested in beyond Sunday stuff, what are you doing to engage uh, in your context? Yeah. Um, so in terms of like engaging in the context, it was a lot of... Um, there was our first probably six months, maybe even longer, as we talked about what starting a new worshiping community together was like. It really was about evangelism and new ways of evangelism. A lot of the folks that started with us grew up in the church and probably like, you know, I grew up with the four spiritual laws or like evangelism explosion, you know, just with these scripts that you went up to people with, you know, that um, you talked about like, eternal life or, you know, all that kind of stuff that, and and you started off with sin and salvation and things like that, things that people were growing increasingly uncomfortable with, um, and realizing that there's probably a, uh, a different way that we could do it. Right. Um, and so we, we spent the first six months talking about just how to share our faith in a really lived, embodied, incarnational way. Nice. Um, yeah. And, and did you like write your own curriculum or did you like use some curriculum to, and are you like working to empower individuals for their own context more so than trying to do like a corporate kind of effort? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think cause a lot of it was one of the things that we decided as a church was that if people asked, how can they serve in within the church is particularly those that are coming from like church contexts. Um, a lot of it was, well, we don't really have much for you to do within the church. Right. We don't, again, we don't have a newsletter. We don't even have like a welcoming committee. Like I'm sure in retrospect, <laughs> it might've been a good idea to have somebody at the door being like, hi, you know, um, we didn't have that at most. Like we had like people to lead in music and um, always helpful. Right. And then, you know, maybe like some folks like, counting, like offering, if that need, you know, like we did have somebody who was like pretty on top of that. Right. Um, but for the most part, we didn't have like typical, what one might think of as like a typical church com- uh, committee. And so um, a lot of it was, if you want to serve the church, you do that by serving your own context. And so sit together with one of the pastors and let's figure out how you do that. And um, you have a good so, story of someone who like heard what you said and then yeah. practiced that in their place. Yeah, I I was just about to talk about actually, and I love talking about this family. Um, there was a young, well, a newlywed um, couple, and we started talking about that. And she was, and the wife of the this couple was just really good about reaching out to other young moms, you know, and um wanting to invite people like other young mothers into a space where they could kind of lament and complain and also rejoice and just spend the time with the kids together. And so that's, that was one thing Like she just really felt like that was her space. And then with her, because she was such a go-getter, we also did a lot of exploration. She loves like dance and drama and all those kinds of things. So we talked a good deal about like how to um, maybe have inroads into like putting together ways to teach children and, you know, living out that incarnationally or embodied in a way. Um, so I think I, we always think of her first because she was the one who like really took to it the most um, right off at the, from the beginning. 
It's so interesting to think about, you know, the, the church starters role as being one that organizes the community into some sort of frame for the purposes of evangelism versus kind of coaching and equipping individual people to be able to do that on their own. And just, I mean, from a pure, like rational perspective, logical perspective, if you want to have more impact, you'll probably do it the way that you did it. If you, cause you can equip 10 people to start systems. Um, and let's just say five of them, last and have impact versus it's a church itself can create three and maybe two of them do something. Like it feels like a really good use of time and effort, energy and expertise. Also your um, pastoral posture that's so strong in J2 seems to fit your own giftedness. Yeah. I, I have to say it's not the most efficient though. <laughs> right. Lots yeah, of time, energy, yeah. relational energy, emotional yeah. energy has to go into it. Yeah, and it's also not what we're taught in seminary, right? Like for those of us who are seminarians, like, um, or who were seminarians, like we're not. I mean, you didn't use like Greek or Hebrew when you were doing it. <laughs> Surprisingly, no. And I love Greek, so uh, well, I should not say that so, out loud. But yeah, so, um, but yeah, it um, it. It wasn't like I would say like we didn't see like this exponential growth that so many people thought that should happen, you know, in terms of like numbers. Oh, so there's like a preconceived notion there'd be exponential growth. Oh, yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Where, where's it, that come from? Uh, it comes from the outward pressure of people saying, you guys are such good leaders and everybody wants to follow you. <laughs> so does that lead into like, like guilt or shame for yourself is there's not exponential growth? No, because I know myself, right? I know that like people, you know, like people can say they love you all you want, but like, we're not like, that was never the dream either. It was never right. to be huge. It was never to, um, we, it was never to have like even 500 or a thousand people gathering. Like we said, yeah, if we get up to like a hundred, that'd be good because then we could just have the resources to do things that were, are possible. Sure. But there are a lot of things that we're finding possible at like 40 to 50 that we thought we couldn't do. So, right. you know, right. yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So you're, you're doing this, this good work. Um, as you've launched your church, you're now, what, what, what ended up happening just real quick? So you, did you leave the house and go to like a church building space or something that you rented kind of a situation? Yeah, yeah we did. We um, ended up renting from a, another Presbyterian church that was kind enough to accept our very low monthly rent offer. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, yeah, it is. It was um, because everywhere else that we asked, like, you know, everyone said, well, a lot of new worshiping communities start in schools. So why don't you look at schools or like community centers and right. there's a new church starting in every space possible here yeah. in San Diego. And right. so, um, you know, we just weren't finding spaces or they wanted way too much, you know, for right. 15 dedicated people to be able to afford. Right. And so um, shout out to Mount Soledad Presbyterian Church. They were the ones who were willing to go with it. But even that was a funny story because um, they, <laughs> they, we met with their elders once and they said, well, can you guys afford X amount? And um we were like, oh, no, we can't. And it's not a negotiating tactic. Like, we really can't afford it. So thank right. you very much. But they called us back and they met with us a couple more times and made it workable. And lovely. and since then, they've been such lovely partners and, and really generous in every way. So, it's such a key thing. I mean, I feel like a lot of the churches that I've seen that really succeeded have have caught a break or found a deal with regard to rental space. Just, I mean, I'm thinking about even the church, the church that I helped to start. We paid like 2000 a month yeah. for the first whatever, however long I was there, eight years. Yeah. So you think 2000 a month and you're like, oh, okay, you know, whatever, 2000 a month. That's for like four or five hours, right? On yeah. a Sunday. And then some of the spaces that we had, so we moved around a lot. So we did have full-time space at around 2000 a month. But that took like subleasing and a lot of extra work. But regardless, let's just say 2000 a month. 
do that for a year. That's $24,000. Do it for the eight years that I did it. And now we're coming up on $200,000 that could be used for so many other things. So yeah, if you can catch a break on on rent, that's just such a huge deal. Yes, it it is. And like, you know, we're not paying much, but we are also kind of, um, we also recognize that there are other like spaces that um, if you can do it for free, we would say, you know, you should do it for free. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So um, people are being equipped individually Mm -hmm. to engage in the mission of God in their own context. Uh, You're gathering for worship. You're leaving the house, moving to a a church building. Um, And and so that kind of probably takes us into this, this next season. Mm -hmm. So we have the season of discernment, which you um, described the season of the initial organized gathering, which you described the third season, the season of the initial public witness, which you've described. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people get stuck on that initial public witness thinking, okay, we got to stay here. We, God, we discern this. God told us this is what we need to do. Yeah. And they don't change and they don't implement yeah. systems of change. Yeah. Uh, and one thing we're sure of is that the church is alive and that which is alive changes. So what, where's, what are some of the first changes that you saw? How did you decide on those changes and how did you, you know, mess those up and how did those go well? I mean, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get. I can always, you know, me, Nick. I can always talk about how we messed up, right? So. I, mean, they're, they're, I think those are. I mean, positive stories are great too, but yeah. messing up is fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, so I guess what happened was um, exactly what we didn't kind of want to happen, which was like a lot of people were checking us out as like the next church on the church buffet, you know, and right. um, you know, because we're getting established, we're meeting in this really beautiful space. Um, our our next generation ministry was like pretty strong because of the strength of the parents who were helping out, you know. Right. Um, and uh, so then we had, you know, quite a few young families coming in that made people really excited, right? Oh, wow, you've got young families in a Presbyterian church, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so funny, yeah, I hear it, hear it all the time. Um, and uh, so, you know, we there came to like it was like we knew what we were for which was for you know again like um for daniel and myself as an asian american church we had always wanted to be a place for people who felt outside of the church or who didn't feel um like particularly for asian americans who felt like they couldn't find a church like a home right like um but when all these young families started coming in um, and they were already church, they wanted to serve, they were like eager to participate. Like there is a sense of like, oh my gosh, we have to hang on to them, you know? Right. And so, um, and they were, and they were really great. Um, but they, I think the big thing was, so we kind of lost the way. And then when we did the reset, especially with our next generation ministries, that's when we just lost everyone. Yeah. And I have to say, um, that's, it was totally okay with us because at that point then it really helped us to solidify like what we were about. So it sounds like, were you like getting too churchy? Is that what you did? Like you created some of those a little too churchy and you needed to make a huge adaptation? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it's so weird. Cause like, you know, when people ask, like, tell us about Anchor City, you know, we hear about all these new worshiping communities that are doing like this really amazing things. And when we talk about our church, we always say, we're just a boring church, right? Mm-hmm. We just meet on Sundays. We have, you know, midweek gatherings. We have prayer meetings. You know, we don't like nothing that's like completely out of the ordinary for like right. what you might think of as an established church. Sure. Um, so it's, it's weird to say it's too churchy, but um, in some ways, yeah, like we talked about like, well, we have all these babies and, um, you know, all these parents who need a break, right, from like 
take for caring for them. So we just have to find a caregiver to look after them, you know, and we have to hire someone. And then it be like, and that was fine. Like that was totally fine. But then it became like, well, maybe then we have to find like a, an education, like a preschool director to take care of the kids or a children's director, but always the vision had been connecting faith in the household. Right. And so then it was teaching parents, um, how to connect what they saw oh, in the house I for see. their children. I right? see. So it's like a move toward yeah. program is programmatization yeah. And, yeah. and staffing. And you're like, no, that's not what we signed up for. Yeah. But, you know, we we bought into it for a while. You know, yeah. we're like, okay, let's just make everyone happy. Let's just try to do this. And uh, we yeah. justified a lot of it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, but then when we began to push back and say, you know what, this is actually not what we want to do like um, if I could explain our Sunday school a little bit um, the way that we started off was we would say okay every parent it's a co-op model every parent has to teach Sunday school right and um, we're gonna do it a month at a time and you're gonna meet with the pastors about a week or two before your month starts and we're just gonna talk about what you love like what you love to do um, and how do you see God in it right and then um, talk about like the biblical stories maybe that you love or things that you want to teach um and so it was um it was a whole lot of that and then the two of us would write a curriculum around it you know so the kids were doing some really great things like photography and cooking and all that kind of fun stuff um and then as you know as the parents of some of the younger kids got older and it was their turns to do this they just were like really unwilling and you know they kept saying things like well why can't we just hire someone you Mm -hmm. know and the cynical part of me was like well you don't give enough anyway for us to hire someone yeah right (laughs) yeah name it that'd be hysterical on the spot just throw that down right um and um but you know and so i think then like we were trying to work around it, work around it. And then finally we just told them like, this is the way that it is. And part of it is that we just like spending time with you and figuring out like what, what makes you move and what is this, is this like you and Daniel making this decision? Do y'all have a leadership team? Like, how does that work? So it was initially me and Daniel just saying like, yeah, like this is not, this is not the way that we want to go. And we did sit down with our leadership team and say to them, like, this is what we think. What do you guys think? And really with the leadership team, everyone was on board. And I think it's because for them, they had been part of the church DNA. And my favorite thing that I love to hear from the leadership team actually is they'll say to us, um, this isn't us or this is us. Right. Meaning they understand the culture. Right. So, yeah. And by us, they mean the church. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a great story. And I'm sure that was painful and hard and people are piecing out and we all know as church starters, especially if you're a smaller church, right? Like whatever, 50 people or whatever. Yeah. If six people leave. Yes. It's painful it's yeah. super painful so so you you have to make this decision you can kind of bend to the consumer oriented nature of what people want to bring to the church mm-hmm. versus hold to the dna yeah. um, but you have left the dna and now you're trying to return back to it right. so that, i mean the change theory on this is 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 fascinating so did, did these people leave and and how bad uh, did that hurt and what opportunities came from the leaving yeah. Um, so some of them did leave because they didn't like the 
they didn't like the system and we had to bless them to go. Um, and then some actually at the same time, we had a couple of families leave the area because either they found jobs elsewhere or opportunities elsewhere. So we had like, That's a what's really, piling up now. Yeah. So we had a, a large chunk of folks leave at once. Um, and that it was painful, you know, and I think too, um, both of us kind of experienced, um, a crisis. Um, and we, we, we experienced like personal crises, not somewhat regularly, but you know, every once in a while be like, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? But at that point it was kind of like, is this right? Should we keep going? And it was right around the year four or five mark. And I have to say, we had some friends who had started new worshiping communities at that time. And, um, um, and at the like four or five year mark, that's when they decided that they, that it wasn't viable and that they weren't going to continue. So we were like, is this our swan song? Like, is this it? You know? And so it was, it was really tough. And there was um, a lot of self doubt that was in there too. So as, um, as listeners are reflecting on this and, you know, there, there are these markers, you know, year one, year three, year five kind of stuff, year seven. Um, How did you, discern that it wasn't time to shut it down when you probably could have done it in in those moments. Yeah. Why did you discern that too? Yeah. I, um, well, I think part of it was like, you know, we talked a lot about it with the leadership and they just wanted to keep going. Um, and I have to say like this decision of like, do we shut down? Like it was, um, it was probably like a year long process of, and, it was such a down, like all the meetings were such downers. Cause I'd be like, you know, guys, every meeting I was like, you know, guys, like my friends closer churches around around this time. What do you think? <laughs> right? like, just kind of like daring them to like, be like, what do you think? What do you think? Um, but you know, I think we just kept going. And um, so part of it was like going back to that initial, what do we dream of this community being no matter how big or how small. Um, and then uh, we made some, uh, decisions about how the culture of the of the group was going to be, um, and and then I have to say the third thing, and this is probably this might strike people as the most honest, but like we actually at that point, um, so people leave, um, and then our our offering started to dwindle, and we didn't worry like no one in the presbytery worried about us because we we're so financially stable that we had like a five year reserve supposedly, um, but then that five-year reserve turned into like 18 months at a certain point. They're saying, no, you guys actually don't have that much reserve. Um, And so, you know, we said, well, let's just keep going. And then if the, if, if we run out and we just can't make it anymore financially, then we have to figure out something at that point. But then we got a couple of grants that came in too, and a really big generous offering from a private donor. Um, So those things that kind of, it sounds silly to say it this way, maybe, but like for us, when when we found out that financially we could make it for another while yet, like yeah. it felt like a sign to say like, okay, let's just keep doing this, you know? Right. I yeah. appreciate the, the, the wisdom there and, and, and the vulnerability. Uh, obviously, so many appreciate you all's work and what you've created and what you continue to create, what you generate out of your church. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. No, just as we finish up here, Jay, any uh, last minute pieces of wisdom for discerning church starters, for church starters, for churches that want to be a bit more generative and maybe get into the work of starting new churches? Yeah, I've been thinking about what I would say to new starters or discerners. Uh, I don't consider myself particularly wise. 
Oh, come on. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I know we have a lot of words around that, but you know, like, I think, um, yeah, I, um, I think really, if I come down to it, it is, um, to be kind to yourself. Right. And, um, I think the other thing too, what I've realized actually in this, in this space, in the span of like six years of actual planting and then seven, eight, seven years, including like the discernment process, um, was realizing how precious I am to our maker. Right. Yeah. Um, like, and how much, as much as I thought that this work was doing, was for others, right? And to help others. And I pastor others and I love others and I love the community and I want people to find a space. There was a whole lot of realizing like, gosh, God is pouring into me and, and doing as much in me and through me as I want to do for others. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I don't know, like maybe this is, um, like maybe everyone else has already realized this, but for me, there's a certain point where I was like, wow, like, I, like as much as I thought that this work was for other people it was also like, it was so formative for myself. Mm. And it was, um, and the act of like being able to love myself fully through that has mm. been really a wonderful thing. Mm. Well, what a wonderful place to land. <laughs> Thank you for that piece of wisdom. Pastor Jaya. Hey, if people want to contact you, uh, learn more about what you're doing, where can they find you online? Um, so we're at anchorcity.org or anchorcitysc on both Instagram and Facebook um, or pastorjaya at anchorcity.org is my email. Um, yeah, I'm not cool enough to give out my phone number like some of the celebrities I see doing, but you know. <laughs> really? Are people doing that? <laughs> yeah. They say, you can text me and they give out their phone. Oh my gosh, what a, what a crazy <laughs> thing. Look, yes. <laughs> that's probably wise move. Well, again, Jay, thank you for joining us. For our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll see you in our next episode. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Cyclical Podcast, a resource of Cyclical Incorporated. You can join us on mission by going to cyclicalchurches.com and signing up to pray with us daily, Luke 10-2, for God to send out workers into the harvest. This episode was produced by Brianna Kinsman and me, Brendan McClenahan. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Catch you next time.